just the uh, the student body here and how uh, what funny specimens there are. They are they're really they're cool. They're different. Um, they are um, gonna take charge of the world. This is a new angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is all about creativity and hustle happening in and around the great state of Montana. Thanks for tuning in. This week, we sit down with Kalish Baller, the Missoulians beat reporter covering the University of Montana. You know, it's interesting um, when I talk to people about this episode saying, hey, yeah, I got the chance to sit down with Kayla. Um, You know, there's no doubt about it. She's kind of a polarizing figure, at least, you know, here on campus. Um, You know, people sort of always have uh, people who've been covered by the newspapers at various levels, you know, always probably have some concern about how their their words or actions or decisions get portrayed in the media. And uh, it was just really interesting to sit down with Kayla and talk about kind of what's going on here at the University of Montana through her lens. Um, Prior to being assigned to the UM beat uh, in 2015, she covered city council and city government at a time when when Missoula was going through or sort of launching its takeover of Missoula Water in that court case. So that was an interesting thing to kind of dig into and, and talk about sort of how she formed her her sort of journalistic approach to answering the questions or you know, figuring out what were the key questions and then finding the answers to them. Um, and in Kayla's time at you know, covering UM, there's been a lot of controversy. You know, I, I think we would all agree that this is not, you know, sort of the high watermark for this university. And we've had successes, certainly, but we've also had stumbles. And um, it's just need to get Kayla's um, kind of take on that. Um, both as a journalist and what she sees as the primary stories here, but also, you know, I got her to kind of go on the record and, and answer some of the questions she's trying to trying to get answers for, particularly with regard to enrollment and um, and with regard to the impact of the sexual assault scandal and the John Krakauer book on the enrollment here at the University of Montana. Um, but it wasn't all controversial. I did get Kayla to speculate or not speculate to talk about um, – what it is that makes her excited about her job? What stories she likes to write? What sort of bring what brings her joy in her work? So, interesting conversation. Uh, I hope you like it as much as I enjoyed having it. And we'll turn it over to Kayla Spaller. I'm here today with Kayla Spaller. Kayla, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Justin. So, Kayla, you are currently the the UM beat reporter at the Missoulian. Correct. Before that, you covered city council. Is that right? I covered uh, city hall, city council, and the mayor, and and transportation and housing. Yeah. And yeah. how long have you been at the Missoulian? Since two thousand six. It was it was the Great Falls Tribune before that. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a UM journalism graduate. Mm -hmm. I uh, got my master's in journalism here and then went to uh, the Missoula Independent for a year and then the Tribune and then the Missoulian ever since. You didn't grow up in in Missoula or Montana, right? Right. From Oregon and California, the West, I've been told to say. The West. Yes. It's Uh a mythic thing called the West. Right. That's not... That I think is maybe more palatable here than the East. I don't know. You might have a better sense of that. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, being from the East Coast, I bounce when people say the East Coast a little bit. <laughs> I think mostly because when they say East Coast, they sort of are thinking New York, Boston, Philly, you know, the urban centers. Mm-hmm. And being from small town in New Hampshire, much smaller than, um, than uh, Missoula. I sort of feel like mislabeled by that stereotype, but maybe that's just mm-hmm. the way people react to stereotypes in general. I'm, I'm not quite sure, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly when they don't feel accurate. Um, anyway, so coming out of the West, why Missoula? Why Missoula for school? Mm-hmm. So uh, my sweetie and I got hitched, and uh, we were looking for uh, we were looking for a place to land to finish school, and uh, and we looked at Missoula because he had family here, and um, he looked at a school in New York, and I was not prepared to head that way, sure. and um, and this is a beautiful place, and we thought it would be cool to be here. Um, temporarily while we finished school and then head to maybe Portland or Seattle. But uh-huh. you know how Missoula is. Yeah, We're stuck, still huh? here. Yeah, right that's on. right. And so a little bit of time out of town, but back here. Uh, it's got to be an interesting role, having sort of had your formative educational years here, uh, and gr- growing up in many ways here. But now to be sort of, in, at least at the Missoulian, in two roles where you're covering kind of major things happening in the community that affect the lives of not only you, but people around you, close to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been a privilege and it's been uh, fun to cover some significant, I think, milestones, both uh, in local government and then here at the university as well. You and I um, talked a little bit about uh, the city's takeover of the water yeah, of right. the water company. Yeah, right. That was company. right at the center of your your time on that beat, right? That's right. And um that was uh that was an issue for I think at least a year, a year and a half and I covered that through uh through the trial and then more recently on the university beat I've covered the um the leadership transition here. Yeah. Um, should, uh, maybe pluralize that, right? The leadership transition. Correct. Yes. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. Right. From permanent to interim to, again, uh, the current uh, right. President Bodner. Yeah. yeah. So thinking about your time at City Hall, let's just talk a little bit about that water case. I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, I have no background in journalism, but but for you, you know, you're, you're, you're on the local paper beat. You've got you know, various constituent constituencies trying to sort of weave their narrative in the public view. The public is probably less than fully informed on the issue. Like, I don't particularly know if it's a good, mm-hmm. good, you know, good thing for Missoula to own its water or not. I have this instinct that it probably is, but I, I'm not. I've become more informed over the course of that, those years. Mm-hmm. But what what kind of perspective did you? Start with when a story like that begins to unfold. What's going through your mind as you're starting to understand the story? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that the early announcement that the Carlisle Group was going to um, was going to buy Mountain yeah. Water Company um, as part of a, a package uh, of companies with a couple in California really surprised the community because while the uh, uh, while the water company had been privately owned it was owned by a family and a family man and um, I think since the um, since the eminent domain case in the 1980s when the city tried to take over um, probably not a lot of um, the general public had given a lot of thought to um, to ownership of 
um, of the water company sure, until sure. this global equity firm comes to town. And that raised some, um, that raised some, I think, alarm bells with some people in the community. And then, of course, it fired up um, the city. For sure. And not just a global equity firm. I mean, the Car- Carlisle Group comes with some baggage, at least in terms of its public perception. Sort of deep involvement with the Bush family and oil and all these other sort of things that I have no idea if they how true a lot of these threads are, but it's definitely a group that has been, at least by folks on the left, branded as this sort of right-wing boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Is that is that mm-hmm. fairly accurate? Um, or the I think that, perception? I don't know if it's, it's, yeah. if it's accurate description of the Carlisle group. I think people raised, uh, I think people raised some of, uh, some of those um, concerns a few years ago. And then I think, um, the concern maybe ratcheted up a bit when, um, when people saw that Carlisle's lead person in, uh, in Missoula had been involved in another water deal in South America through, I think, Bechtel. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, I think you're right that people were People were nervous and agitated about that. So, as a reporter, are you nervous and agitated, or what? Like, what's your <laughs> what's your what's your kind of perspective as this story starting to unfold? You know, the community's up. You know, the, you know the, the 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 state. You know, whatever the the mayor's office and the the city government are starting to activate. What's I'm fascinated. I uh, okay. I'm fascinated because um, uh, because there are so many uh, community issues to to ask questions about. And there's also a narrative uh, of, you know, tiny little town in in Montana fighting against um, huge firm, the David and Goliath yep, narrative. Yep. And I'm intrigued about that. And I am uh, and I am wondering how it's how it's going to go down. Sure, sure. Now, that, actually, that kind of leads me to another question is this this issue of, of narrative. So narrative sometimes fits the story, and sometimes it doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how are you kind of, as a journalist, you know, obviously you're going to follow the facts, mm-hmm. but there's also this sort of, man, the facts would, if they fit the narrative, this would be a lot better story. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, that does make sense. And um, I think early early on when uh, Mayor Engen talked about, um, talked about, Going to court um, against Carlisle to um, to f- use the city's power of eminent domain to take over the um, the water company. I think we, the public, didn't have all of the information that he that he had. Okay. So the narrative looked at the time to be that um, David was not going to win the fight against uh-huh. Goliath. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but in fact, as the, I think as the court proceeding went along and more of the, uh, more of the facts came to light, uh, um, the city ended up uh, winning in uh i'm I'm not going to have the right the right language but winning their motions or winning the the small um the small fights that preceded the actual uh the actual trial and um and i think that might have been um that might have been surprising yeah and is the mayor's so you're saying the mayor's office held more cards than it you know than, than the public sort of knew going into the trial and they're probably, well, I don't know, but my assumption would be they're sort of fighting, 
the court case, but they're also fighting the case of public opinion. Mm -hmm. And maybe, I mean, you're an outlet in that. How do you view your role? So I'm assuming that information might be trickling out or leaking to you or being presented to you through, and through whatever means. And how do you kind of view that sort of information? Mm -hmm. Because the mayor's mm -hmm. office gives you a tidbit. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying they did, but if they, if they give you some sort of a tidbit and they say, hey, can't attribute this to us, but you know, how do you kind of view that in the context of of telling a story that's true to the facts mm -hmm. and balanced. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think in that in that case, there, as far as public perception goes, you had a lot of opportunity to kind of take the temperature, and it uh, and um, and the city actually did uh, take the temperature with a uh, with a poll yeah. too. So um, so along the way, you could hear. Um, 12 city council people talking about this and see, you know, see where they were landing. And, um, and, you know, of course you could, um, you could hear, um, the mayor's stance, which I think from, um, from early on was, um, it's a, it's a resource necessary for life. The public should be in charge of it. Um, and then, um, the city, um, ran a poll and, um, that showed, um, that showed support for public ownership, although um, although I think they uh, I think they never quite said, "Would you support it if it was going to you know cost ten million dollars or whatever?" Public ownership so, didn't translate in the polling to this is going to cost you X number exactly. of dollars per thousand of your home or whatever. However, they would tax it. Yeah, and I don't even I don't remember um, either if uh, if they said, "Would you support this?" Um, if we had to go to court for it. Right, um, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the intricacies of polling questions and right. biasing the survey and, and all that. Mm -hmm. So that story runs its course. Um, and then you, you move over to the to the, uh, the University of Montana beat, what, in 2015? Is that yeah, I think so. There was a little bit of overlap with the trial coverage. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think right, right around mid-2015. Yeah. And what motivated was, that move? From from the city beat to or city government beat to University of Montana, mm -hmm. I had uh, I had covered the city uh, a city hall for a long time, and I really loved that beat. And then um, every other year is a city election year, and I would really look forward to them to learning about the people running for the city council and um, uh, and seeing who was going to try to take on uh, the mayor who had said, you know, he, he always says he, he wants this job. He wants to keep this job. Um, and, and one year, and it must have been, it must have been 2015, um, uh, I realized it was a city election year and, uh, and I dreaded it. So I told huh. my bosses, I guess it's time for me. Time I'm not excited change. about this anymore and yeah. it's time for a change. And, um, I think coincidentally, Martin Kitston, who was covering the University of Montana and now runs Missoula Current, was uh -huh. ready for a change as well. And it was really awesome to um, to see uh, to see how a new person on a beat had a different eye and how he would have questions, you know, being at council meetings that I wouldn't have. And yeah. I feel like that 
is probably a good thing for for readers. And I might have become tone deaf to things that he then found interesting and readers would find interesting. And I hope that's the case with the yeah, university beat too. It sort of makes me think about your own, I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but the own, your own sort of um, internal editorial process. Yes, because you bring to a story and an investigation a certain reporting perspective, background, whatever, and other people have their own collection of those things. Mm-hmm. How does that work within the editorial process when your editor you know, interjects a different perspective or, or whatever to balance that kind of, those differences out, perhaps? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's one... Uh... I think it's one reason getting uh, getting a wide perspective um, that it's it's cool to have a diverse newsroom yeah. and being in uh, in Montana. I don't think we're um, hugely ethnically diverse, but right. we do have um, with reporters and editors, uh, you know, a gender split, and we have um, reporters in their twenties who are out in the world at times that the rest of us are not out in the world sure. and seeing things that the rest of us aren't seeing. And then we have yeah. some people who are in their sixties and probably plugged into uh, plugged into things that the rest of us aren't plugged mm-hmm. into. And I think we um, use each other to um, fill in some of those blanks. Uh, a lot of times an editor, of course, but um, not but not necessarily. You know, I'll hit up Rob Cheney, who covers um, natural resources, sure. if I have questions about, even sometimes about whether something is a story, but because he's good at um, at asking the questions that help answer sure. that. Do you guys collaborate on stories? Like, have, you know, multiple authors on bylines and things like that. Is that within the capabilities of the Missoulian at this point? You know, uh, I think when we have multiple bylines on stories, it's uh, it's usually because it's breaking and different people are collecting different yeah. pieces all at the same time. And I think more if we collaborate on something, it might be um, it might be a, a project where one reporter takes uh, takes the lead and then another reporter maybe. Um, takes part of the part of the story but not the not the thrust of it okay okay i just ask because i feel like as i read so i just i'm seeing more kind of multiple author bylines in the new york times so Mm -hmm. maybe it's more investigative pieces or like you said a lot of that content excuse me is breaking so it, it requires you know multiple sets of eyes and ears to be kind of gathering everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of collaboration that happens um, uh, that happens in the reporting process too. And that is, uh, that's one thing that I like and appreciate about the Missoulian newsroom and um, the trip was this way as well, um, where people uh, in my experience aren't protective of their sources and protective of people's cell phone numbers unless you know people have uh, have asked for that um, if I say hey I need I need an expert who can talk about um, who can talk about business in this particular way and I can't think of anyone um, uh, you know my colleagues will sure. say oh call you know so and so and here's the cell phone number and I feel like there's a lot of that back and forth and it and it was from the from the get-go, I remember that sense because um, Michael Moore at the time was covering the Bitterroot, and I uh, and I needed a phone number, and he sent me some phone numbers, including 
Huey Lewis's phone number. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. and I thought, oh, okay, this okay, is a sharing not. place. This yeah. is a sharing place. That's good to know. How does yeah. it, it's interesting, too. There's so many sort of prominent stories and films made about situations where a journalist won't divulge a source. Um, how does that work within the walls of the organization? I mean, are you, if you have an, maybe it's case by case, but mm-hmm. like what are the, what are the protocols or, or rules with regard to should you share a source with a colleague, mm-hmm. even if it stays within the family, or how's that all work? I think a lot of that is dependent on your relationship with the source okay. and with the particular source, and then also it depends on whether that source uh, is part of the story or um, or just giving you giving you a tip and yeah. if somebody wants to be um, if somebody is going to be um, a source but not um, an attributed source for a story it might be it might be a conversation that you have to have with uh, with your editor, and there and there are times when um, when of course the editors know the identity of someone that other people um, in the newsroom also also sure. won't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So just to kind of complete the circle, so you move over to the, to the UMB. You said that was exciting, just because it was a change. But are there any things other than that that made it exciting? I mean, you're an alumnus. You're graduate of the uh, alumni, I should say, graduate of the journalism school. I mean, there's got to be kind of a lot of thoughts swirling around. In 2015, I mean, it's not necessarily a high watermark for the university at that point, right? Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. I think uh, think the exciting thing about that beat change um, in particular are the elements that the University of Montana has that um, that local government um, doesn't as much. And um, some of that is um, like the research, the science that's yeah. here. Um, I I love some of your uh, some of your scientists, like uh, Diana Six um, yeah. is does cool stuff and knows how to how to talk to normal normal people, talk to the lay person <laughs> about the work she's doing. That kind of wildlife biology crew—they're so talented at taking really complicated esoteric great science and translating it to to language or imagery or whatever medium media that the lay audience can really get jazzed about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i uh i recently uh had the opportunity to talk with doug emlin as yeah. well and he uh he is also great at, at doing that uh, translation and also he just oozes enthusiasm for for the work he does, which is cool. So so there was that piece which was new, and then and then the other fun thing is um, the eighteen to twenty two year olds mostly. Is that right? The yeah, yeah. Um, just the uh, the student body here and how uh, what funny specimens there are. They are they're really they're cool. They're different. Um, they are. Um, gonna take charge of the world. Um, they're so um, they're so involved, and uh, and it's neat to get out of council hall where you have a lot of people. I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, and to this yeah. new generation. Yeah, and hear a lot from more them. diverse uh, informational environment on many dimensions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as you're approaching it, though, 2015, like I said, not a high watermark for the university. There's tons of opinions and blame to go around and sort of, I mean, you've got to have some a priority 
opinions about what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And how does that kind of influence or not influence the perspective with which you start this, this new beat? Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think the question, uh, the foremost, uh, question was, uh, was enrollment and still, still is to some degree. I don't know if I'd agree that's the foremost question, but it is the variable of interest to Uh many people. Uh Uh-huh. I think when I started, uh, when I started the beat, uh, the question was, well, why, why, um, why has enrollment slipped and, and why, uh, why is it continue, uh, continue to slip? And then the other, uh, and then the other piece of that is what, um, that this came more from, I think, from other, from other people. Um, but, but what role did, uh, did or does a sex assault scandal have yeah. on enrollment and people have widely varying opinions on that, but that, uh, that, came up periodically do you feel like as a journalist you've come to arrive at an answer for yourself on either of those questions on on the enrollment slide i think i have i i think i have seen part of an answer and um uh it the enrollment seemed to be seemed to be dropping here, while um, while enrollment seemed to be um, foremost um, uh, seemed to be a priority at uh, at other places. And I think that um, maybe here the systems just were not in place at a time that critically they needed to be mm-hmm. in place. And so um, the university maybe got hammered doubly or triply as hard as it, uh, as it should have been. Yeah. I've had some um, people who do this say, well, it, it's hard, but it's also not, uh, it's also not rocket science. And um, uh, the, New enrollment and communications vice president has yeah, talked cool. about she it. Just started this week. Yeah, yeah. She talked in her public interview about you know looking at her dashboard and trying a lot of new things, but being able to uh, to turn the dial. So yeah. she'll probably be able to fill in fill in all those fill in all those gaps. Well, we all, well I certainly hope so. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, the other piece. So, what what role mm-hmm. do you think the sexual assault crisis and the and the, the, the resultant investigations in Krakauer publication, like what what or what role do you think that played in this 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 enrollment decline as well? So, I did ask an enrollment official at the University of Montana that question um, a while ago, and and um, she told me that right after. Um, right after the, I think it was right after the publication mm-hmm. of the book, they um, they talked with people who were backing out, people who had maybe applied and um, but and been accepted, but decided not yeah, to yeah. come. And uh, and their assessment at the time was that it had just a minimal impact. Um, 
But because the topic still uh, comes up, I wonder if um, I wonder if you know parents maybe don't want to say, but yeah, it's, it's, but that is that is right. There might be reason. bias against revealing that as a as a decision driver. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's certainly salient when I walk down an airport, for example, and you go by Hudson News or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. just rows of that blue Missoula and the picture of Main Hall and. Mm-hmm. It's basically like in the in SeaTac Airport. It's right across the terminal from where you board the the flight to Missoula. So it's it. I think it's got a and, and it, well, you know, I don't have data to support this, but I think it's had a pretty big impact. You know, and you know, John Cracker Krakauer, um, it was so clear in the introduction that um, that the story here is a story that happens on college campuses right. all over the country. And and he talked, too, about the files that he kept on different communities um, that were all experiencing the same thing. And, um, and yet he chose Missoula and then he got a little bit of uh, a little bit of heat for naming the book Missoula mm-hmm. which I think he he said he wished he could uh, he could take back but yeah there it is I mean it's uh, yeah I can I can see all the reasons why it's an attractive choice for an author who's trying to sell a book to a, a national or international audience it's unfortunate that that it's unfortunate that that bad stuff happened here Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful sort of narrative device for telling an important story. Like if he had sort of set it in at Florida State or something, and mm-hmm. focused on the, you know the quarterback there that got into a, a rape scandal, mm-hmm. a rape accusation scandal. You know, I think a lot of people would probably dismiss it and say, "Oh, that stuff happens at those Division One universities, mm-hmm. and it's just commonplace." You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. having it be the small sort of any town USA. Good way to tell the story. I think I think you're right, and I think um, I think any town is um, is probably an important piece of that too, because he was looking at um, at city poli- police. Yeah. He was looking at the county attorney's office. He wasn't just looking at university and university officials. Right. He was looking at the the, the entire system and mm-hmm. the related web. I think. Yeah. So transitioning to, you know, other sort of somewhat related stories, I mean, yes, you mentioned um, enrollment is a super salient topic. There's interest in the community. There's interest that the university is focused on it. Readers are interested in it. Um, How do you kind of approach that story in general, declining enrollment? What is the sort of, as you're putting together like a meta-narrative of this, this enrollment issue, what are the sort of pieces in your mind that you're trying to pull together? Mm-hmm. I think the um, the big question is um, is the why like we talked about, uh-huh. but then also what are the what are the impacts and um, and uh, and that piece has been ongoing too and it also um, it also informs the beat in a way because uh, because the financial impacts are pretty significant too, right? Yeah, huge. Um, so, um, so that means, uh, that means there are, you know, short stories, dailies about budget decisions, but then that also, that also means that, um, that some of the, uh, programs like creative writing that are, um, part of the just 
fabric of the identity of the of the university uh-huh. are uh, are struggling as well, and and professors worried and want to talk about that, and um, so it means paying attention paying attention to um, to that as well. How do you feel about that kind of? struggle perhaps I don't know if struggle is the right word but there is some sort of struggle about the core identity or the fabric of the university as you mentioned you sort of you know Im- implicit in your answer there was yes the assumption that creative writing is at the heart of it and yes there is this sort of liberal arts tradition here but the university is also trying to find its way I mean the new leadership is putting forth a new strategy and um, how, what sort of lens do you do you bring to that mm-hmm um Questions. <laughs> I don't yeah, know about a sure. lens, but questions. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and one uh, one question I th- that I wrote about recently was what the University of Montana's identity uh, will will be in relation to uh, the other flagship in Montana, and as right, the sure. system uh, tries to serve the state of Montana. And I think the question came up because um, I was looking at uh, some of the um, uh, the English department at Montana State and um, also heard that Ivan Doig's papers had gone to Montana State. And I thought, well, that's odd. And what, is this, what does this mean? Well, and then of course, the enrollment and budget numbers are looking, uh, looking more and more divergent. And um, and I, I wanted to know what it means for like for the role that the University of Montana will uh, will play in the future vis-a-vis a system with two main uh, two main universities. Right. And how is this strategy that the, the administration is articulating? How does it fit within the? You know what the office of the commissioner of higher education has put out there, or the regions have put out there. Um, has there been any investigation of that, like how how this strategy jives sort of up the up the food chain, if you will? Mm-hmm. I think that that is one um, that's one uh, interesting piece that came uh, that came out of that story, at least for me was um, was Commissioner Christian said that some of the same. Some of those same questions are ones that they are working to address right now and are things that he wants to see the regents talk about and he wants to see guidance from um, from the regents on. So I think there will be, you know, an evolution there. Yeah. I mean, it would seem to me that, you know, I'm certainly not in that seat, nor am I anywhere near it, mm-hmm. but it would seem to me that... Uh, you would want both institutions to grow at, at a similar rate mm-hmm. rather than having this yin and yang between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, rivalry is fine, but let's keep that on the football field or basketball court or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think, too, one point, uh, one point that UM people have made is that, um, is that really the quest here is for, is for quality mm-hmm. and, uh, and, that's um, that's a clear priority, and I think um, you start. I think the question is um, 
at what point at what point does quality suffer because enrollment is suffering right. and therefore right. you don't have the you know the resources to put to maintain to maintain quality but um but i think the uh, the stated priority is is what um does um is going to do exceptionally well that's been my sense of an answer from from main hall here right but yeah and part of that is if, if you if, if you try to be clear on what you're going to do well which where you're going to maintain or invest in quality mm-hmm. with scarce resources that means you have to disinvest in other areas right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um there seems to be sort of a a I don't know what the right term is, but it, it's 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 not an open discussion of that issue um, by many. And you know, as you're kind of approaching this as a journalist, how do you? You know, there's there's, there's for lack of a better term, there's going to be sort of people that benefit from the outcomes of these strategic decisions, and people that are either lose their jobs or have fewer resources. Mm-hmm. And departments that um, that um, gain, and departments that lose, and, and how do you kind of, as you're mapping out these sources and people to, to to talk to you, how do you balance what they have to say with what's going on in their own department, profession, job, whatever, mm-hmm. and what's going on in their discipline, both at the state level but also at a national level. So maybe to uh, maybe to go back to your uh, your notion of kind of 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 narrative and what the uh, what the expected narrative is, I, it, there's on the surface maybe winners and losers, right? There's the programs that are uh, that are going to have the resources and the and the ones that have to be cut, and then there's the uh, and then there's word from Main Hall, which is you know we we just have to change the way we're doing things. We're not going to um, uh, they're not forcing uh, forcing programs into uh, into uh, into corners, or they're not um, forcing programs out of existence. They're asking um, they're asking for uh, for people to do things differently, and so um, so that's kind of the surface narrative. And one uh, one uh, opportunity that. Uh, that I had recently was to talk with um, some of the professors who teach language because that is one program yeah. that um, is seeing some uh, some faculty FTE reductions and and really ask them ask them what it means when uh, uh, when they are taking a look at really revamping how how they do their work yeah. and. Um, uh it was it was neat to hear that they've been having the conversation for at least a couple years and um and the um strategy for distinction kind of heightened their sense of urgency to uh to make some changes um but but the energy at least in that department which is uh which is at the top of the list of you know the losers sure. for resources really is um is i don't know positive yeah it, 
and I didn't I didn't read that particular story, um, but the notion that that departments are are trying to innovate mm-hmm. is is a, is a really great outcome of this. I mean, we all in higher education, you've listened to maybe some of the episodes we've done. I mean, the big theme and what we're doing here is sort of exploring ways that higher education needs to and can innovate to do what we do better mm-hmm. in the face of changing technology, changing student body, changing market demands, um, et cetera. So to hear that is, is, is encouraging. Um, so as we, I want to transition to one, you know, we've had discussions about this one particular story um, that you sure. published a couple of months ago. And, and it's not so much to focus on this story, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a way to kind of explore Something that's interesting to me, and it's how you view sources and sure. controversial topics. And that's a story um, about uh, the president's spouse, Chelsea Bodnar, um, being involved in this uh, interface between UM and the Messina Group. Jim Messina, an alumnus, uh, political operative, uh, ran Obama's campaign, and um, owns a data science company now. He sort of has in the past, he's volunteered his company services, and it was uh, not ex- the university wasn't interested. And he has a personal relationship with Chelsea. And correct me if I'm getting these facts wrong, but um, you know, in in the face of limited resources, Seth and his team said, "Yeah, let's let's see if these guys can help." Mm-hmm. And Chelsea was involved as, as a liaison, and there was some question, at least questions raised by Tom Crady, our former VP of enrollment. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to the, the level of data, I don't know if it's access, but the level of requests she was making for student identified identified data. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is, mm-hmm. that, is that sort of broad outline of the story? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's fair. And um, university's legal counsel um, said unequivocally that nobody who shouldn't have had access to student records had access to student records. Okay. Um, but you're right that uh, that there was uh, there was concern about the push for access. So there's concern. I'm assuming it's coming to you from Tom Tom Crady. Tom Crady went yeah. on the record so about he's, he's his a guy that's you know his 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 contract was not renewed. So as this is kind of emerging early on before you've sort of you know it's not really putting pen to paper, but whatever that metaphor is for how you do your work. Mm-hmm. How are you kind of approaching this? Oh, is this a juicy story? Are people going to care about this? Or this isn't a story at all? Like, how are you kind of making judgments about the storiness of all this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think um, the first uh, the first thing I probably want to know is uh, is whether whether this worry is crying wolf or not, and and uh, well, what happens if someone someone like you or me suddenly have access to student records. How, how big of a deal is that? Is that a huge, you know, is that a huge problem? And is there only... Or even if I simply request, Mm -hmm. right? And somebody says, no, you can't have access to that. Or, hey, that's an inappropriate request. Like, is Mm -hmm. that, is that a story? Sorry, I'm Mm -hmm. kind of interjecting. No, 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 no. Uh, No, right. And, um, and then is it something that just one person is an alarmist about, or is it something that would be, um, uh, that would be of concern beyond that, and so there's a little bit of you know pre uh, pre reporting where you figure you figure that out and um, and 
And if the answer there is, if the answer there is, well, you, uh, there are strict rules about this, uh, and uh, and the information does need to be does need to be guarded. Um, then okay, we we can move to the next thing. Okay, and you know you've got this source who um, is bringing this to your attention, and you know he's speaking from a, a certainly a well. I mean, we can make assumptions about his his perspective being someone who's who was, his contract was not renewed. Uh, I don't, I'm not privy to that process, but um, mm-hmm. you can make assumptions that this guy might have an agenda. Is that fair to say? And I, uh, y- uh, you can uh, you can say he definitely uh, he's a person who might have an axe to grind, right? Yeah, I because that, yeah. he. I mean, you should probably have that perspective as the reporter, right? Right. So. Um, it's important. It's important in that in that story to give the reader the same information that uh, that we have. Sure. Yeah. Which which is this person is this person is worried about something, um, but this person also uh, also wanted something from the University of Montana that he that he didn't get, and right. he might. And he might be torqued about that. Mm-hmm. And he might be, how did you put it? He might be coming to, to the table with. With an agenda, yeah. perhaps. And I'm not saying that to make an ex, uh, accusation. Just mm-hmm. in your view is, hey, I laid that out in my story. And, and it's, it's important for readers to decide mm-hmm. how, to, how to view that information. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, while um, while the former enrollment vice president is the person who, uh, person who went on the record about that concern, it, it was also a concern that came to the Missoulian from other uh, from other sources. Okay. So that also okay. that also tells us that um, that we don't have he. While he may be cranky, he's not just sure. a single okay, crank so he on that out there issue. On an island. Right. Okay, I don't recall. I mean, I, I should have read the story before we had this. Should have reread it before this conversation. So, were there other people quoted in the? No. Or is this a no. This is right. This is this is helpful. Uh, this is helpful in knowing that the person who is going to kind of uh, go out on a limb and go on the record um, isn't isn't alone in the in the concern and other people may privately expressed that. Yeah, and how do you kind of how do you deal with that in the sense is does that they're privately sharing concerns that doesn't make it into the story but it, it seems to maybe help determine if it becomes a publication or not is that kind of mm-hmm. the way that works? Yeah, and um I think the important piece there is to know so that to know you're not in an echo chamber. Right. And and it and I think that goes beyond um you know beyond that particular story um when I wrote this story about uh President Bodner's first 100 days or whatever it was um and and I'm talking to people who work for him and so they're going to say certain things on the record but I'm also talking to a lot of people I'm not quoting and I'm saying, okay, you know, these people are saying these things, um, you know, where on the, 
dial of where on the dial of zero to zero to ten does this uh, does this strike you? Right. Um, so I, it's imp- so yes, talking to more pe- talking to people who aren't quoted in a story does help inform like what what stories land on your on your list and um, and what you might say. Um, in a story without attribution, too. Yeah. Yeah, that has to be kind of tricky as a writer to to um, to make those choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's, Kayla, I mean, you've been super generous with your time and also just, you know, I've sort of drawn you into topics that are maybe not super awesome for you to talk about. So no, I appreciate it's all awesome. transparency Thank you. And, and willingness to discuss. But as we close, I'd like to kind of change gears a little bit and... Um, ask you what excites you about your job like what what let's talk about fun stuff like what are the most fun stories or what are the stories that you're like i am on an awesome story and i want to tell it and i'm Mm -hmm. what's the worst passion justin i just got back from glacier park (laughs) so uh so the story i i need to revisit uh revisit the story list um but i know that some of your some of your scientists here keep yeah. doing work in you the field the and the animals excites you yeah yeah exactly um scott mills has done some yep. has done some great stuff and um is doing uh is do, is doing good work and um I want to check back in with some of those scientists and see what they might be, uh, what they might be doing this summer. I would really love to spend a day uh, with Kathy Cole, your new vice president for uh-huh. enrollment and communication. Although she did say at her public interview that her days start at six thirty in the morning, so. Wow. <laughs> um, but it would be fun to see how um, how someone in her role gets the gets the job done for sure yeah um, a key relationship for you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and um i had a chance to meet your new asum president and uh-huh. vice president a yeah, while ago they're a neat team. yeah and i'd like to talk more with them and see uh and see what's on their mind and then 2019 is a legislative session mm-hmm. so um i would like to hear more uh how the commissioner's office is going to strategize for the university system because yeah. it's um I feel like you could maybe say this any year but it's it's um it's an important time yeah, yeah, for, for sure. higher ed and along those lines just one final question so what role do you think your work and more broadly the Missoulian plays in this moment we're in both at University of Montana and in higher education I mean, are you I bring that up because some people bring up other towns and they say, oh, it seems like the newspaper is just a cheerleader for that institution. And, and I, um, I hear people say, I, I don't hear people saying that about the Missoulian here. Um, you know, and you, are you calling balls and strikes or do you want this little place to grow? Like what's your kind of, what's the optimal relationship between the newspaper and the uh, and the institution? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the university is a huge part of the of the community, and we've talked about so many of the different dimensions: the administration, some of the politics, but then just culturally, the students, um, uh, the the science, and uh, and just financially too. And I think um, it's our job to uh, to shed light on 
all of those things, uh, all of those things with our readers. And um, that's, I guess, the maybe the the bird's eye view and then um, and then a successful a successful relationship between me and sources is um, probably being able to run into people at the um, at the farmer's market or the grocery store and having them, you know, not throw tomatoes at me. And <laughs> maybe they'll oh. call or email and, and, and raise questions or have criticisms and, and they do and that's fine. And, uh, and we hear them out and sometimes they have great ideas too. Yeah, um, but at the end of the day, being able to, being able to continue a dialogue, I think is important. And then I think if people learn more about the university, um, they'll meet, they'll, they want to be vested in the, in their community. They're, they're vested in the community, including the university of Montana. For sure. That's a great way to leave it. Kayla, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Justin. Best of luck. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, lots of interesting things there. And uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts, let me know. Um, we want to hear from you. Uh, reach out at a new angle at umontana.edu, or you can sort of in- engage with us on our social platforms, Facebook and our Instagram feed. A new angle podcast is starting to gain some followers, so check that out. All right. On tap next week is Nick Triolo. Nick is, gosh, I don't know how to describe him other than just to call him a special soul. Nick is a graduate of our environmental studies master's program here at the University of Montana, and he is just a prolific mountain athlete, writer, author, activist, filmmaker. I mean, he's a bit of a renaissance man, and his his sort of um, broad objective is to figure out convincing ways to communicate about the environmental catastrophe going on on this planet and to get people interested in contributing in whatever way they can. And he uses a variety of tools to tell those stories. Uh, We talk about that a lot in the podcast. Nick is a dear friend, and uh, it was super fun to uh, get a bit of time on his calendar. You know, in these Missoula summers, planets rarely align enough for people to uh, have the chance to sit down, and Nick was able to free up some time. I was coming in from a road trip, and he was about to leave. So the planets aligned, and we got it done. Look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. Remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're one of the largest electrical wholesale companies in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately owned business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in Missoula, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, cool people doing awesome things with creativity and hustle, please let us know. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the show. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, 
www.business.umt.edu slash a new angle. There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few people for making this project happen. First of all, Elizabeth Willey, Communications Director here at the University of Montana College of Business. I'd also like to thank recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke and our fabulous interns Savannah Sletton and Max Gibson. And a special thanks to VTO for providing the show with music. Finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borson. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.